All right, 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to begin with verse 24, and then I'll set up the scene for you in a moment. Now, uh, as the Israelite army saw him, speaking of Goliath, <coughs> of Goliath, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen this giant, the men ask? He comes out each day to defy Israel. Now the king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife and, here's the best part, the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. <laughs> Come on. Thousands of years later, and like, it still hasn't changed. We're still, you know, you get a princess and no taxes, which is a good thing because princesses are expensive, y'all. Like, you just... Come on. And so David asked the soldier standing by, wait, wait, what will a man get for killing this Philistine? Like, let me make sure I heard you right. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men, they gave David the same reply. They said, yes, this is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Elab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry what are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride, and I know about your deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. Come on. Like, if you're a younger brother, and then there's the older brother, and he's like, come on, younger brother, and then what have I done now? Just shut up. That's that's the translation. Right? Just, come on, listen to me. What have I done now? He walked over to some other people, and he asked them the same question and received the same answer. Now David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. And to listen how David responds. Don't worry about this Philistine. He didn't say don't worry about this giant. He just said don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I will go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way that you could fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Apparently, you don't know David. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and his goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I'll go after it. And I will club it and rescue the lamb from his mouth. That's just awesome. <laughs> and if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both the lion and the bear. And I will do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion, he rescued me from the bear, and he will rescue me from this Philistine. Come on, somebody. Wow. I mean, what a great story, right? I mean, this is, this is one of those stories of stories. If you're in the room this morning and you haven't heard this story, you didn't go to Sunday school. Because that Sunday school teacher worked this story for like six years. 
and you knew it. Because, I mean, this story, just think about all of the elements to it. There's so many great things. That, and especially, like, if you're a young boy and you're hearing this, and there's giants, and there's princesses, and there's swords, and people's heads are going to get cut off. You know, and, and then there's like, there's an army that's afraid and then there's an uprising. Like this has all of the elements of just a great, great story. And, and, and I want you to kind of understand, some of us have heard the story and we get the highlight, but we miss some of the context of what's happening. And, and there's this guy, Goliath. And it says that he stood nine feet tall, wore this coat with a 125-pound coat, had bronze all over him, a bronze helmet, uh, bronze uh, knee guards and shin guards, and had this sword and this, the tip of this spear that had a 15-pound tip. I mean, he's just decked out, right? And, and the way that the story begins is there's this valley, and the Philistines are camped on one side of the valley, and the Israelites are camped at the other side of the valley, and they're both on hilltops. So they're both standing on these hilltops, and there's a valley in between them. And this is important because this is kind of military strategy 101. You don't give up the high ground, right? And so you got kind of two armies facing each other off on high ground, and this would be something that armies would do quite often even throughout history, is instead of just these armies battling, they would say, hey, we'll send out our best warrior, you send out your best warrior, and whoever wins, then that, that nation will serve that other nation. So instead of all of this fighting stuff, let's just, let's just put our best out there. And so the Philistines' best was Goliath. And, and, and when this guy comes walking out, if you were to look at a map and you were to see where the Philistines were in Israelites, uh, the Philistines would be on the west, uh, west to southwest, and the Israelites would be on the east to northeast. So as the sun came up in the morning time, it would come off of the back of the Israelites, and it would beam down to this giant who would walk out in front of the men, and he's wearing all of this bronze, and he's blinging in the sunlight, y'all. I mean, he's just, he's just flashing, just flashes of like, oh, just look at this dude. And, and, and as it comes up, he would cast this shadow across the valley floor that made the dude look even bigger, right? I was just like, man, this guy has got to be huge. But there's a whole valley between them. And, and, and so there's so much distance that even if you're looking at this guy, you know he's got to be bigger than the average guy, but he's still from that far away, there's more focus on the shadow than there is the man. Like, we know he's big, but, like, he looks even bigger as the sun comes up and everything that he's wearing and the, the spear that's in his hand. And, and they give this great detail of everything that's about him. And, and on a side note, for those that have a hard time with thinking about giants, uh, like, oh, man, I, I just don't know. I don't know if I could buy into that. Uh, literally, in the 1940s, there was a, a man, and I'll get his last name wrong, but Robert, uh, let me find it here, w Waldo, Wadlow, Wadlow, he was eight feet 11. He was one inch from Goliath. And this is documented. This guy, it was a pituitary thing. His gland, he kept growing. He still actually was growing at the time of his death. So the idea, if, you, if that just kind of stumps you up, like look back just a few years and there was people uh, this tall, eight foot 11. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records. There's all these documents about him. So just imagine the scene. There's this giant, and every morning as the sun rises, he comes out in all of his glory and all of this weight and all of this metal, and he's taunting Israel day in and day out for 40 days. And David's at home with his father, 
To which his father says, listen, your three of your other brothers are in battle. I want, you to send, I want to send you to them. I'm going to give you some bread. I'm going to give you some cheese. I'm going to, I mean, David was the original DoorDash. He was just, your brother's about to go, you know, food delivery boy. Just go and give it to him. And so David's just making this delivery. He's making this delivery to his brothers. And he comes right at the time where this giant comes out and makes the same spiel that he's done every morning. And to which now... Whoa, 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 hold on. Who does this giant think he is? He, dare he come against the army of the living God? And he comes right at the moment where the entire army is afraid. They're, they're backing off and, they're, and there's this fear. And the reason why they're afraid is because they're comparing themselves. Look at this guy. Look at how big he is. Look at how big we are. There's no way that we could beat him. There's just this comparison and here, this is the thing. This is the danger of following the crowd. The danger of following the crowd is there's always someone that's going to set the bar. There's always someone to say, like, this is how far you could go. This is what it is to be the big man. This is what it is to be strong. And up until this point, for Israel, it's been Saul. Because what we've heard about Saul is Saul stands head and shoulders above your average man. So we have a king that's bigger than everybody else in the land. But now all of a sudden, there's someone that's bigger than this guy. Now all of a sudden, well, we thought Saul was big, but this guy is head and shoulders above Saul. And so at one point when we were comparing, and we thought we were tough because we had the biggest guy. Now there's somebody bigger, head and shoulders above and here's the thing, every time we start comparing ourselves to others, there's kind of two main reactions that we'll have. And one of the big ones is fear. It's fear because everything inside of us says that, well, we're not enough. We're not big enough. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. Everything we could do, the enemy to tell you that you are lacking because this guy is so much bigger. Or it's, man, look at how big I am. I'm Saul. I'm head and shoulders above everybody. And, and we, find our, we find our security in that thing until somebody challenges us. Until all of a sudden there's something that's bigger in our life. We thought we were the biggest person. We thought we were the big man on campus. And what happens is in these moments is it reveals what we've been focusing on the whole time. It reveals that we've been possibly focusing just on ourselves, on our own abilities, on our own talents, what we, what we thought was the strongest, and in turn, the fear of just every single morning, no, we can't beat this giant. And I think for some of us, we've grown up in the house of Saul. And what I mean by that is we have an appearance of strength, we appear on the outside real strong, but whenever things get really tough, we crumble underneath the pressure. We have this, uh, this appearance of like, got it all together. We have this appearance uh, that the world looks on and says, wow, they, they, they must have everything together. But then when things get tough, we crumble in fear. We come to church and when we talk about worship, like we could worship as long as the band's good, right? As long as the air conditioner is set to a perfect temperature, as long as everything is just right, then we can worship. As long as the internet is streaming, everything is okay. But here's the thing. None of those things are going to help you when you really need it. 
when you really need it. You don't need a feel-good sermon. You don't need me to give you some catchy quote or some polished media on Facebook. When things get really tough. See, what I want to know is can you worship when the giant comes out and taunts you? Can you worship when there's something bigger than the thing that you had your faith in all along? Something bigger than Saul. Something bigger that, oh, oh, oh no, now you feel this lack. Can you still worship in that moment? Can you worship him now? Can you stand strong even when everyone else is turning around in fear and trembling? Are we content to look more like Goliath and Saul than David? See, Goliath and Saul look the part, but David does not. David doesn't appear like the warrior at all. As a matter of fact, David just looks like this young kid from the field. Would we rather actually be or appear to be? And let's, let's be honest, y'all. I know this is a hard sermon right now, but some of us are just content with appearing. I've seen your Facebook profiles. I just want to appear like I got it all together. I want to appear. I want to show the world that then everything's good and I got it together. I remember, I don't know how old I was. I was probably maybe 12 or something. And uh, this lady had gotten uh, her pictures taken. And I can't remember the whole scene, but she sh she's showing these pictures. And I'm looking at the pictures. And these pictures are amazing. I mean, she is smoking hot in these pictures. The problem is I look at the picture and then I look at her. And I'm like, dang, girl, that was a good photographer. <laughs> that brother has some Photoshop skills. Because that don't look nothing like you. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't act like y'all act like know. Y'all seen those people. You saw their profile picture. Like, yeah, that's a, then you've met them in real life. Whoa, you appeared one way. You appeared one way. And so often I just look at the church here in America, and I think, do we just appear one way? Sometimes I think, all, all, you know, we're going and we're helping some of these churches in Pakistan and India, and I'm like, I think those churches should come and help us. I think that they have something that we need. We may have the appearance, but man, they have something. Whew. Are we content with just appearing? David doesn't look like a warrior. He challenges the status quo. He says the thing, like, who does this giant think he is? And he, he challenges, because everyone there is thinking, and every, every man there wants to raise up against this giant, but everyone is in fear. And David says the thing in his heart. And, he's, and this is the part of the sermon, I don't know if you've heard it before, but this is the part where, where every, the preacher will tell you, you know, David wasn't comparing to the giant, he was comparing to the bigness of God. And that's true. And, and that is true, because you can read right in the text, it's like, this is the army of the living God. So there's the element of that. But there's actually a second part to this that we kind of skip over because we think it's not spiritual enough. See, David wasn't just comparing the giant to God. He was also comparing the giant to the lion and the bear. Because he said, listen, I've killed the lion and I've killed the bear, and I'll do to this Philistine just what I did to them. In other words, this, I, I killed the bear, and you got to understand, that bear had bigger paws than this giant. I killed the lion, and that lion's roar was bigger than this giant's roar. I've killed bigger. 
so I know I could kill this guy. Because who is he to defy the armies of the living God? See, he does both things. He says, listen, understand, I've already been through some stuff. I know I don't look like a man war. I, I I know I don't appear to look like this guy. But listen, when I was out there with the sheep, and when no one was watching, I killed the, I grabbed him with my bare hands and I clubbed that mug. I mean, come on, this isn't like, he did that. Is this not, I mean, this is a boy tending sheep that when a lion came, he grabbed that lion by its mane and clubbed that dude. He said, I put my hand in his jaw. I'm gonna stay away from the lion's mouth. I ain't gonna lie. And that's why I'm not David, right? See, we don't wanna put our hands in the lion's mouth. We want, to, we want to run away in fear like every other person in this army. And David said, like, you've got to understand, I've already killed bigger. And I serve a God. He could kill this thing. He could kill this Philistine. See, when you've killed bigger, all of a sudden, some of the things that used to scare you don't scare you anymore. I remember when I was 16 years old, I bought my very first car, 1988 Jeep Wrangler. It was awesome. Top down, I ripped everything out of it, put the thing where it could just rain in it. I didn't care. I was, you know, cruising on the beach. It was a four-cylinder, though, so it went like tops of 30 miles an hour. Piece of junk. But anyway, I remember I bought this, this Jeep Wrangler, and it was $5,800. 16 years old. And I, I got the loan from the bank. I got the 5800 bucks, And my car payment was $180 a month. And I remember thinking... How am I going to pay this $180 a month? I don't know if I could do it. And I, I go to work and I'm working, I'm working. I'm like, I got to make this money. I got to make this money. I got, I got, I got to pay this $180 a month. I got, I got to pay for this thing. And finally, I got just so stressed out, I ended up selling it because it wasn't worth it. Now I look back and I'm like, I wish I could only pay $180 for a car. I've killed bigger. I've killed bigger. And see, the things that used to stress you out, you now call Tuesday. The things that used to be the death of you because you've killed bigger. See, when you get into that life, see, we want to live this life of ease. We, want, we don't want any suffering, but this, there's, there's going to be lions. There's going to be bears because there's going to be bigger. And if we find ourselves just cowering down, if we're not faithful with the little, how are we going to be faithful with much? See, we want what David got, but we don't want to pay the price that David paid. See, we, we, we want the brand new shiny, but we still want the 180 car payment. It doesn't work that, late, that way. Man, and we read about Paul. Man, I want the ministry of Paul, but I don't want to pay the price that Paul paid. This dude was beaten and left for dead. How was your day? How was church? Well, the band was pretty good. The, the sermon was okay. The pastor did an all right job. How about you, Paul? How was your day? I just got stoned. Thought I was going to die. Shipwrecked. Again. Like, no. Like, come on. I've already killed bigger. I've already killed bigger. See, remember, the danger of the crowd is someone's already set the bar. And we live in a world where sometimes all of our giants are made of things that are smaller than us. And when all of our giants are made of smaller than us, we think that we're doing okay until something that's head and shoulders above comes and the doctor says cancer. And all of a sudden, something happens in your family and your kids that's outside of your control. And you thought, oh, 
And at that moment, you need more than just a catchy sermon. At that moment, you need more than just a good guitar player. At that moment, man, you, got, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Or are we a people that just get stressed out when things get tough until you get where you've killed something bigger? Uh, at my house, I think I've told you all this before, but my kids, they'll, they'll, they'll start running around the house and, Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, I'm hungry. Like, kids, you don't know what hungry is. You don't know what hungry is. And let's be honest, there's probably not many of us in the room that knows what hungry is. There, there might be a few. I don't want to, but we don't know. Come on. Persecution? Persecution? Oh, they unfriended me on Facebook. Persecution? Oh, they cut me off in the parking lot. Or this person's talking bad about me. I mean, try to say something like that over in Pakistan, where people are dying for their faith. Suffering and persecution. I was watching an interview with a gentleman and it was a gentleman in India, and he was talking, it was Francis Chan, it was uh, the, uh, Hank Hanegraaff from America, and then there was this gentleman from India, and they were just talking about the differences in cultures, and they said, you want to know one of the biggest differences between the gospel that y'all have kind of made here in America and the gospel that we have in India? He said this, we embrace suffering. We embrace suffering. In America, you want to run from it. Like, at all costs, as long as it doesn't hurt, as long as it doesn't cost me something. He said, you want to know why we have these churches that are so strong and the Christians are doing so well underneath? Because we embrace suffering. People that have deep roots, that when the lions come and the bears come, they don't run away. When they see the sheep in the mouth of that lion Something within them, just not today. Not today, Satan, not my child. I know I've had those moments. We had a moment with our one daughter. We were just really scared, and we had to take her to the hospital. We thought something was wrong. And I remember just praying in the car, just, nuh-uh, not today, Satan. You're not going to take my daughter. Uh Uh-uh. I started praying stuff. I don't even know if I believe some of the stuff I was praying. And you haven't really prayed until you prayed that kind of prayer. You don't pray until it's like, I don't even know if I believe this. I don't know about some naming and claiming. I don't know. But right now, in this moment, God, you've got to do something. Because this is my girl. This is my baby. In that moment, come on, God, put, put the roots down deeper in me. And David says, not my sheep. Not my sheep. And see, it's this two-sided coin. On one side of the coin, we begin to recognize what's possible. Because, listen, we've killed bigger. On the other side of the coin, there could be this reality of, like, I've killed bigger. I've killed lions and bears. And you just begin to believe that you're the one who did it. And you want to know the amazing thing about this story? It's not just that he killed the giant. The amazing thing is he's giving credit to God all throughout the process. It's the Lord who rescued me. It's the Lord who rescued us when when that lion came. It was the Lord who rescued us when that bear came. And now it's the Lord who's going to rescue us when this giant comes. See, David didn't didn't develop this thing that, oh, no, it's me and I could do this and I got this. There was a confidence that he had, but it was a confidence in the Lord. And that's where we got to get to, church. We've got to get to a church that, listen, I know that inside of me there's no good thing. I can't do it. 
that lion's going to gobble me up, that bear's going to get me. But listen, we serve a big God. And, and I'm telling you, like, we could kill bigger. We could kill bigger, church. David speaks up, and he's saying these things. And all of a sudden, his brothers chime in, who do you think you are? And they mistake his confidence for arrogance. They mistake his confidence for arrogance. Who do you think you are? Go back to those few sheep. And I wrote this down. I was like, you know, there's always going to be some haters. But even at this moment, I don't even know if his brothers are really haters. I think the problem is, is that they're his brothers. I think the problem is, see, they've grown up with David, and they're so familiar with David that they don't actually see David. Sometimes you get so close to someone that you actually fail to see them. All you could do is see them as, no, he's the young boy that takes care of the sheep. He, he, all, he, all he is, he's the one that plays with Legos. All he is is the one, oh, I remember that. Jesus put it this way. Listen, a prophet's not welcome in his own hometown. Because I think those people looked at Jesus and, oh, what, Jesus? No, there was nothing special about Jesus. He was building tables and chairs and, oh, that was, no, no, he can't be the Messiah. Sometimes the closer we get to someone, the less likely we are to see them. See, like, I've known Chris for 25 plus years now. And and just this morning while we're standing, I had to remind myself, he's not just Chris. Man, this is a child of God. This is a powerful man that when he plays the keys and he lifts his voice to heavens, that like, man, angels are rejoicing and like we're lifting up our worship to him. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, you've never met a mere mortal. Like that person in your life, it's, it's, it's not, just, not just your mom. It's not just your dad or your friend. I'm not just your pastor. Do you realize I'm dangerous? Come on. Somebody realizes it. But you get around me long enough, you think that, oh, that, that's just Lucas. That's just Alan. We're just friends. And we, no, 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 no. That's a powerful man right there. That's a powerful woman right there. It's not just Lauren. It's a powerful people. Child of God anointed by God to do his work, Adam. The spirit of God is inside of you and inside of others. And when we have these conversations, you've got to realize you're not just talking to anybody. You're talking to a child of God. And you are what he says you are. And if all you think is, oh, that's just, that's just Bridget that works at Walmart. Oh, that's just Pete. He's retired now. No, no, these dangerous men and women to call yourself a Christian to be a follower of Christ. Men and women that go in and snatch lambs out of the mouth of lion, not today, Satan. That's the people we got to be, to just treat it like, no, no, they're unsaved people. No, 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 these are people that just don't know Jesus yet. And we need to go and fight for them. We need to start fighting for our families. Start fighting for those people. This is a soul, this is why Jesus came. Stop cowering in fear because of what people might think. Because the truth is, you may not really know them. There may be some that are so close, you begin to believe that's just your wife. She's not just my wife. She's a powerful, powerful woman of God that when she prays, mountains move. Come on.
we forget. Like we didn't just come to church. The spirit of God is in this place. Your creator who spoke a word and caused the heavens and the earth to form is in this place. See, you would be mistaken if you thought you just came to a building and there was some, some people playing and somebody speaking. No, no, like, we came here to meet Jesus. I'm just going to hang out on the couch. <laughs> like, no. It's Jesus. And see, here's the thing. Sometimes this thing that David's speaking up, sometimes I think the change has to take place from an outsider. Because we've, we've seen a thing for so long, we've become so accustomed to a thing that we just think that this is the way it'll always be. And David reminds us, listen, we serve a God whose roar is louder. We serve a God whose mighty outstretched arms are bigger than this giant's. You were made for more than just a Sunday morning sermon. Did you hear me? You were made for more. See, this is the huddle. And we release and we go out into the world and we take this. And we don't just want to appear, we want to be. To be, to have the power of Jesus moving in our lives. But sometimes we miss it because we don't see it. And our response is just like David's brother's. We project our own limitations on others. This is how far you could go. This is what's acceptable in our society and in our culture. So we project these limits and we, sometimes we call them, well, you're just being arrogant. But David was saying what was in the heart of every man. A whole nation that's been paralyzed by the house of Saul, covering up their fear. I don't know about you, but I don't want fear to rule my life. I don't want fear to rule my life. And we are, can I, just, you know, can I just let you have it right now? Like, we are a people that are afraid of everything. Like, through these last few years with COVID, like, this, our, our whole society, we're just afraid of everything. And everything in this world is built around your safety. Oh, our TV and movies and billboards and everything. Oh, we just want you to be safe. Your safety is our number one concern. Your safety, your safety, your safety. It doesn't say that in the Bible, though. Jesus doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, what he says is, I send you out as sheep amongst wolves. See, when we treat safety as our priority, we'll become more and more fearful. Have you ever noticed, like, at your house, it starts off with, well, we now put locks on our doors, and, and there's nothing wrong with putting a lock on your door. I have a lock on my door because there's just crazy people out there, right? But then all of a sudden, crazy people get even crazier. And then like, okay, so now we got to put a deadbolt on the door. And so we got our lock and now we got our deadbolt. But then, oh man, some of these crazy people are pretty strong. So we're going to put a second deadbolt. And then we're going to put that little chain thing. So even if we like open up the door just to crack, we put a little chain because that's going to save us. You know, that's going to that's gonna do the trick right there. But then that's not enough. So then we go out and we get ADT, the security monitoring system. But then that ain't enough because who knows, the phone system might go down. And then we put a Louisville slugger by the door. But then that ain't enough. So then we get a dog. And he's like, that dog, don't get he just slobbers all over the floor. And then we build our these safe rooms, right? We call them panic rooms, right? And like, then we'll feel safe. You feel like the more and more, do you realize though, the more locks you put on the doors, the more fear is inside of your soul. Every time. 
And, and we do these things to help us feel safer, but all it is is a breeding ground of fear. Now, don't get me wrong. Put a lock on your door, y'all. But I'm saying, just be careful and know who your ultimate safety and security is in. Okay? When we treat safety as the number one thing, we'll end up just riding the bench our whole life. I send you out as sheep amongst wolves. I send you out. Yeah, there's, there's going to be some giants in the land. As a matter of fact, every time like, something really awesome happens, there's a giant in that land. See, we just, we just thought, oh, like, we'll just, we'll just go right into the land. We'll, it's going to be the land, and there's going to be milk and honey, and there's going to be, like, no, there's some giants. There's some battles. Matter of fact, anything that's worth anything is going to cost you something. And you've got to be ready and willing to fight for it. And some of those things, it takes, like, you've got to get to the spot where you've killed bigger. And I'm telling this, church, if we're going to get to the place where God wants us to be, we're going to have to kill bigger. There's going to have to be some things that, like, no, 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 not today, Satan. Not in my life, not in my church, not in my family, not in my county, not today. I'm not going to be ruled by fear. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I ask everyone to stand to their feet. Some of us, we've been following the crowd so long that we don't even see it. It's like that moment where you move into your house for the first time. And you're so excited, and you're just, you're just trying to get things in there. And there's that ugly painting that you've had for 20 years. And you know it's ugly, and your wife knows, but you still put it on the wall anyway. Because, hey, we just, just put it on the wall. And it's five years later, and it's still hanging there. And you don't even see it anymore. You don't even see it. And then, and then one day, someone brave enough, someone that's your friend enough, points it out. Carl, that's just an ugly painting, bro. And then you remember, I was supposed to burn that thing five years ago. That's what I'm doing this morning. For some of us, we've treated Christianity and we've treated Jesus like, oh, like all it is is the Sunday morning. All it is in, and we've lived in this fear that cowers back. And I'm just kind of pointed out this morning, no, 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 hold on. We serve a big God. We serve a big God, and I'm here to remind you, we serve a God who's killed bigger. We serve a God who's killed bigger giants than whatever you're facing. We serve a God who his roar is louder than any roar of the enemies. We serve a God who, man, who speaks a word and all of creation changes and molds into his will. It's time to take some of those ugly paintings off the wall. All right, God. I surrender my life in your hands my life in your hands because Jesus came and set the new standard he raised the bar to what's possible I don't set that standard your friend down the street doesn't and I, I may, maybe I'm just crazy but I just I just believe it y'all I just believe it and if I was being real honest with you, there's things in here that I'm, I believe, but I'm not seeing it. Like I'm reading Acts and I'm just like, God, I believe it, but I don't see it. And I, I want to see it. I want to see it. Tear the paintings off the wall. Because I know you've killed bigger. 
I know you've killed death in the grave itself and that you rose on the third day and there's nothing that's stronger than you. He's killed bigger. Let's pray.